welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence so we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we'll chat with Ivy Clarice Estoesta. Ivy is a director in Stern Kessler's Mechanical and Design Practice Group and Trademark and Brand Protection Practice. Ivy earned her JD from the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law, and her multidimensional practice includes drafting and prosecuting design patent application and enforcing design rights, clearing, prosecuting, and enforcing trademark rights, and advising on copyright protection for some of the most recognizable brands in North America. Ivy has a niche expertise in U.S. and foreign design rights related to graphical user interface, augmented reality, and virtual reality designs, and is the firm's go-to resource for copyright matters, particularly for visual works. For the past four years, Ivy has been recognized as a rising star by managing IP. She has served on the International Trademark Association Designs Committee and as the Complementary Forms of Design Protection Subcommittee Chair of the American Intellectual Property Law Association Industrial Designs Committee and currently serves on Stern Kessler's Diversity and Inclusion Committee. So Ivy, it's so nice to meet you today. I would love to know a little bit about your journey uh, professionally and personally, if you'd like. Let's start with that. Yeah, that's fine. Nice to meet you too, Sheena. Um, so professionally, that journey was sort of a meandering one. Um, I actually started out as a pre-med major in college. Um, I was hoping to become a medical doctor, actually. And I got waitlisted at um, all the medical schools that I had applied to. And so I was hoping to reapply again and um, during this one-year gap. I thought it would be good for me to take a job. And so right out of college, I started working at Stern Kessler, which is the current firm I'm with actually, um, thinking that I was going to be there only for a year because I had these plans to go to medical school. Um, And I started out in the biotech group of that firm as a paralegal um, because of my pre-med background. I didn't so much enjoy the work. And so I ended up switching groups um, and I moved to the trademark practice um, at the firm. And it was there that I realized how much I enjoyed the work um, because it was a lot more like the the, um, art history courses that I studied in college. So I'm actually also uh, an art history major. And it just reminded me of a lot of the things that we did in our history class where we were always looking at pictures and um, comparing and contrasting the different styles. Um, And so because I enjoyed that trademark work so much, I decided to just apply to law school. And um, the firm has this really nice program where you can attend law school in the evening if that's what you want to do and also continue working at the firm so that's actually what i did i attended evening school at the university of maryland in baltimore and um, i worked during the day at stern kessler it was a very very long and hard commute because i would take the mark train from baltimore to dc it was probably like 
three and a half to four hours round trip commute, depending on what the train schedule was like. Um, but it was, I think, the best thing for me because it allowed me to get my degree. I didn't have to take out uh, too big of loans. And I also gained a lot of practical experience in the legal field. Um, and so after I uh, finished law school, I joined Stern Kessler as an associate. And really, the rest is history, because after I became an associate, I uh, got elevated to counsel after meeting a certain number of years and um, accomplishments, and then I became a director. Amazing. And did you always grow up, grew up in uh, Maryland or? No, I'm actually from California. <laughs> what was that switch like? I mean, California is lovely weather. Maryland snow, it snows, right? <laughs> um, it was actually not that drastic of a change only because, so like I went to college in North Carolina. So that change was a big one. Um, Culture-wise, it was very big because I, I went to school in like Silicon Valley area. And then I went to school in Winston-Salem, which is not like Silicon Valley, it's more of a town. Um, but it was good to see that other slower type of living, I guess. Um, and then when I left North Carolina, moving to DC was a bit closer to the Silicon Valley feel, um, but not as um, hectic, I guess. Um, so it was, in terms of culture, the, the shift was not that drastic. In terms of temperature, it is drastic. And actually, every time it is winter here, I ask myself why I lived here. <laughs> it's okay. I say this. I live in Toronto, and I say the same thing. You know, okay. I, I always say, why did my dad move to a cold place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, especially coming from, you know, the Philippines where it's always hot. It's like, why did we go from hot to cold? But I'm from the Philippines. Yeah, I'm from the Philippines. I was born there. I actually just came back uh, last month. I uh, was there for a month long trip. And, um, you know, what, what, what did your parents say when you decided to change your major from medical to yeah. law? I'm sure they were like, why? What are you doing? Yeah. So my mom has always been very actually hands-off um, because she said, that's that's your education, you do what you wanna do. My extended family, on the other hand, they, I, I'm also Filipino. And so in the Filipino culture, like healthcare, like a profession is in the health industry is like something that you aspire to do. And so it was a very big deal for me to switch um, and at one point, they asked me, like, if you're not going to go to medical school, why don't you at least consider nursing? And I said, I don't really want to do that. Um, I, I did like some internships, uh, actually, that sort of hinted that I probably wasn't the best suited for the medical field because I would get squeamish seeing certain things. So I was like, I don't think this is for me. I'm probably better off like just typing and writing and like looking nice versus getting down and dirty with those types of things. So 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. I can never be in the medical profession. I'd probably like faint if I see blood. You know, I'm just not the right person. And I know in Filipino culture, it's like, why don't you become a nurse, right? That's always the most typical thing mm -hmm. uh, because it pays a lot, it's stable. And in our culture, you know, we've been ingrained to always have stability, right? Yeah. Sometimes that doesn't work out. I mean, the biggest example was the pandemic, you yeah. know, everything locked down, nobody knew what was going on. And then we had to figure things out along the way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great that you've been able to, um, you know, go up the ranks in your, in your firm, because especially as a Asian female lawyer, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you've had your fair share of challenges, right? And if you read reports, you know, Asian women in the law industry probably represent, represented for lucky, like one or 2%, right? Yeah. I think overall we represent maybe about 4% in the U S mm -hmm. um, and so, and I'm pretty sure the ratio for men to women is huge. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of female Asian lawyers, you know, they've gone through like being gaslit, the microaggressions, you know, sexism, racism. Um, have you ever felt any of that as in, in your own journey? I want to say that I don't think I have, but maybe I wasn't perceptive to it. Yeah. Um, I'm the kind of person that I have very thick skin. And so if someone says something to me, really it goes in one ear out the other and i think that is actually the product having grown up filipino where my family is just my extended family particularly is very hard on on just raising kids and wanting them to reach like this very high standard and so for me if if someone in the office like asked me to do something a different way, I didn't really think maybe, I don't know, maybe I didn't know that it was a microaggression. It was always just like, okay, well, this is what they want me to do. I will do it that way better and I will give it to you how you want. And to me, it really pushed me. I think also um, the, the group that I work with so I'm in a smaller group and it's actually um, the practice group leader is a female attorney. And honestly, that has been the best thing, I think, because like when I went on or when I got pregnant and with my first um, and I was thinking about um, what to do about my billable hours, she encouraged me to go on balanced hours and said, like this is like having a baby is not an easy feat. Like you're gonna have to give your attention to something else. And so hearing that sort of encouragement was really nice actually. And it was funny because um, at the time that I got pregnant, um, my husband who's also in the patent field, he said to me, um, well, when you're on maternity leave, why don't you study for the patent bar? Because you'll have all this time. And I told that to um, the practice group leader and she just laughed. She said, yeah, I was going to say, um, <laughs> 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 we didn't but, know at the time how much um, love and care it takes yes. for the baby. Especially if you don't have a nanny or any other you health. Lucky if you can even put clothes away. And so just hearing that very realistic 
um, perspective and like not even like there was no expectation for me to do anything other than spend time with this baby that was going to come like that was very encouraging. It makes a huge difference when you have other women lawyers who understand what you're going through, right? Because, you know, sometimes men don't understand what women go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, if they think, well, you know, you're taking time off, you can go take the bar. It's like, well, no, <laughs> the most underpaid job in the world is a mother, right? Yeah. Uh, you're trying to juggle so many things at the same time, not only for your kids, but your family, especially Asian culture, extended family, uh, family for, I mean, it goes on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, having having that support is so important, especially in your journey, because there's times where you just feel like you want to probably pull your hair out. Yes. And there you could kind of just, share your feelings or just kind of air out what you're going through. And then you feel a lot better, especially in a high stressful job, like being a lawyer, right? It's not easy. Um, I was just curious, have you ever like been to court to like speak on things? And, you know, what was your experience like? Because I've, I've heard some stories, you know, sometimes they look at you and they're like, oh, this is going to be like a piece of cake, right? And they didn't, they don't take you seriously. Um, I'm just curious if that ever happened to you. So I'm not in the field where I go to court. I have done um, what are smaller uh, administrative proceedings before the patent board. Um, and I have done that. And it's not, it's, it was an ex parte proceeding. So there wasn't another side there. I, I wanna say that maybe my smaller stature um, makes me look like I might not know as much. Um, and I look quite young too. Um, so that I think could give a different impression. But when I do speak on like substantive things, I think I come across as very knowledgeable actually. <laughs> so it could come as a surprise, but yeah. 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 I love that. And I know, especially as Asian, right? I mean, you know, we look we look young, right? They always say Asian don't reason. And so sometimes <laughs> they don't take you seriously, or maybe they think you're like someone's assistant, or, you know, they want to ask you to grab coffee. I mean, I mean, these are just instances, right? Not It doesn't happen to everyone. Um, but it's also important to just share what each and every person's experience is so they can learn from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, you know, what makes Ivy, Ivy? <laughs> yeah, so that's a good question. There was this book I read a few years ago, and it was called Grit. And I think that word probably describes me pretty concisely, um, only because I think all of the things that I have done to get me where I have is a good illustration of grit, because I don't think I talked about this, but my mom actually raised us as a single parent because my dad died when I was like four years old. And so there were a lot of things that I think I didn't have the, I didn't have the easiest of paths, I guess. Um, but my mom always did provide for us. And so seeing her just be able to make ends more than meet for my sister and me, like really inspired me to work hard and to become, to be optimistic about things, um, even if it doesn't look like it's gonna go the way you want it to. And so I think that has stayed with me for a very long time. 
And when I approach anything, it's always put your best effort in and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I love that you mentioned grit because sometimes people don't understand what you have to go through to get where you are, right? Sometimes they just see what they see on social media. They think, oh, she made it. But, you know, they see all the glory and never the story, you know, what you had to go through traveling four hours a day um, just to work and, you know, get your license, Um, being able to study and then trying to juggle, you know, being a mother, a wife, Mm -hmm. a daughter and a lawyer at the same time. I mean, a lot, right? And I think we definitely need to hear more stories like these because it's important. It's important to inform people like, you know, it's not always a walk in the park, right? I had to do so many things to get to where I am. I had to push through through, and through so many challenges to get to where I am today. And so, um, you know, our story is very important because, you know, it just shows people, okay, now I know what to do if I want to be an IP lawyer. Now I know what to do if I want to be an entrepreneur. Now I know what to do if I need to, you know, get to whatever that end goal is. It's going to take work because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. (laughs) So I really love, you know, the word grit because it it is really important um, to share, share what we go through and what we had to do in order to get to the success we are today. And so I know you credit your commitment to DEI, pro bono services and mentorship to the motto of your alma mater, Wake Forest University. Would you like to share with us the story about that? Yes. The background, the motto of our university is uh, pro humanitate. And this was a phrase that was introduced to us my, I want to say freshman orientation. Um, It means for humanity. So I didn't really think about that phrase often or anytime (laughs) during my years at Wake Forest until I think it was my senior year when I attended a brunch for scholarship students. I was a Joseph G. Gordon Scholar at Wake Forest. Um, So I attended the university um, basically tuition and boardroom fee free, which was a real blessing. And at this brunch, there was a speaker who had also attended uh, the university on scholarship, and she was reflecting on the motto, Pro Humanitate. And I remember her speech began uh, with the phrase, to whom much is given, much is required. And it was that phrase that really gave meaning to the pro-humanitate phrase because it made me appreciate that my scholarship was a gift and this gift doesn't end with me. It's something that I need to share with others and it doesn't have to be a financial gift. It could be the gift of time. It could be the gift of mentorship. And so when I'm asked to mentor other students, law students who are wanting to explore a career path or share my experience um, just to give others like insight on what it takes to get to where I am. I'm very happy to share that and give um, advice on how to take on like little things to help you improve yourself or make yourself more marketable. I love that. And it, it, you know, people don't realize it's like the small little extra, like small little steps that really yield the big results, right? Mm-hmm. I know sometimes we feel like we need to take a big leap 
And then when we don't reach it, we feel like the worst person in the world. Mm -hmm. And so like, I always tell people like, take it one step at a time, right? Because it's the small actionable daily steps that yield the great results. I mean, people always say you need 10,000 hours to practice your craft. So if you're expecting to get results right away, well, you know, it's unrealistic. It's unattainable because you got to put the work out there, right? I mean, of course, I'm sure there's people out there who are just naturally talented at what they do, right? Of course, there's a rare occasion, but most of the time you have to put in your work. I mean, you put in your 10,000 hours to get to where you are today um, and look where you are now, right? You've always kept elevating um, to in your firm, but I mean, how long have you been in the firm right, right now? I started in 2006. So 2023. Yeah, almost um, 17 years. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, people don't realize like you've been in this uh, industry for 17 years mm -hmm. and it took a lot of grit, a lot of confidence, a lot of practice to get to where you are today. And so I love that, you know, you're able to do that, to share what you went through, to um, give them little tips to make the, to yield the big results. And, you know, to anyone who's listening to this episode, and they also want to get into the legal profession, I mean, what, what tips would you give them? I would say first talk to someone in the field, just to get a sense of what it's like, because just talking to them, will open your eyes to um, seeing what their experience is and what it is that you can come to expect. Um, the other thing that I always encourage um, individuals to do is to work at a law firm before they even decide to go to law school, honestly. Especially now, law school is not just a big financial commitment, it's a huge time commitment. And I would hate for someone to spend three years of their life pursuing something that they ultimately decide is not for them. And so I think working at a firm um, or working in some sort of legal uh, practice for a year before you decide to go to law school is really um, eye-opening because it shows you what the hours are going to be like. It shows you that it's, it's a very service-oriented profession. Like a lot of people think that, oh, if you become a lawyer, you get to tell people what to do or you're in this high-power job. When in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's To me, it's a service industry and you are providing a service to your clients. I love that because I know, you know, as lawyers, you work sometimes 24 hours in a day, right? So to think that, you'd be delegating. I mean, it's just unrealistic, right? And and I love that you mentioned like work at a law firm first. Yeah, because what if that is that isn't your path, right? Mm -hmm. Um it could just be something you just want to experience and figure out later, okay, this is not for me. Kind of like, you know, you decide to go into the medical field. And then when you look work for the law firm, you're like, I'm definitely not in the medical field. Yeah. This isn't for me. I'm switching careers. Yeah. Um, and moving on to a law firm, right? Uh, and, and how many years were you in medical school before you decided to be in, in law? So I didn't actually attend medical school. I did um, this summer program, which was supposed to mimic the first year of medical school. Um, it was, I want to say, two, two or three months long. 
it had like the all the academic components and then it also had like the practical components where you work with patients so i was great at the academic component it was when it got to the practical component of working with sick patients where i got very squeamish and i did not enjoy it yeah yeah oh i'm glad they were, they had some kind of program so you also had an idea i love i love that tip it's like get into the field first to feel it out right mm -hmm. even if i mean like say medical like even if you just volunteer at a hospital right yeah. at least you know what it's like and if you're if you're prepared for it then you can go to school for it right yeah. but if not then you know maybe try something else right um, because it is a big investment, you know, I know in the United States, sometimes tuition can be as much as one person's salary. So it's like, that is a big decision to make as well. And you don't want to waste all that money realizing, oh, this isn't for me. Right. So, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to do that and save some money along the way. Um, so I haven't, uh, so I, actually, I was just curious, do you have any recommendations on how to make the IP and legal space more welcoming for women and practitioners that fall into the DEI categories? Yeah, I had mentioned the story about the practice group leader at my firm encouraging me to take balanced hours when I was going to go on maternity leave. And I think one of the things that firms should consider if they're not already doing it um, for women or parents actually, is to provide this option of reduced hours. Um, and it's not even just providing that option, it's encouraging people to take it and normalizing it and talking about others who are on balanced hours so that it's not something to be ashamed of or to uh, discourage. And I think those types of acts will show women and uh, any parents actually that it is possible to have a career and also be present at home. And then in terms of being helpful to uh, individuals or practitioners in the DEI um, category, I think things like this are really important actually. Um, I think back to when our firm had uh, director promotions, they would ask the directors to share a bit of their life story. And I remember the one that was most inspiring to me was one, she's Asian American. Actually, no, she's, I want to say she's Taiwanese. And she talked about how she came from her country here to the US with nothing but a suitcase really. And it was just amazing to have reached the level that she had reached. Um, and so seeing stories like that, seeing individuals who are similar to you and hearing their stories of how they got to where they were, that's really inspiring and encouraging. I totally agree. You know, I'm a firm believer in sharing our specific stories because it's our specific stories that really create the change, right? Mm -hmm. People can see it from a different perspective. They learn about our culture. Um, it, you know, dismantles the negative stereotypes we go through mm -hmm. that we still go through till today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like that person can help you move forward in your journey, 
right? Um, and that's inspiring that she came from Taiwan with nothing but a suitcase, and then she was able to achieve that, right? And I'm pretty sure that took a lot of grit to where she got, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not easy, especially, you know, when you're considered, uh, when you're in an underrepresented group, like you sometimes have to work a hundred times more, right? To just prove your worth. And I know sometimes there's days where she probably like, is this even worth it? But um, we push through, we move forward because, you know, it creates the positive impact that we see. So I, I love that. And I hope, yeah, companies do do that, right? And especially when it comes to childcare, being a new mother, because um, here in Canada, uh, you're allowed to have up to a year of maternity leave and you're allowed like 40% of your pay. Oh, wow. uh, so they really want you to, um, you know, spend time with the child because that's like the most important part, right? The first, yeah. first year. Mm -hmm. And so, and then also um, like the mother and the father can like switch it. Like she can take six months, he can take six months, right? Mm -hmm. um, parental leave. So, and it shouldn't be shameful because you're giving life, right? Um, or you're creating life. Uh, and, and, you know, we have to celebrate that we have to honor that time, no matter what happens. Right. And I know sometimes as women, we have this like scarce mentality. Like if I go away on maternity leave, my job is over. Right. Or someone's going to take it over. And I know it's, it's easier said than done, but we also have to implement these things like childcare is important. Being able to take care of our, our kids are important and honoring that time. And then when they, when you come back from work, you know, it's just you're working again and you're doing the things that you're supposed to do. So I love that because I think this is something that is so important, especially for women. Um, and, you know, not just law firms need to consider it, you know, every company needs to consider it, right? Um, if they just understood women and the big buying power of women and they honor these things, like it can go a long way. So I love that you mentioned that. One more question before this interview ends, aside from being a badass lawyer, what do you do for fun? Um, when I have the time for fun, I play mobile games, Wordle, Words with Friends, and there's this one that I'm obsessed with. It's called Redecor. It's basically being an interior decorator and spending pretend money. It's actually been very good for my uh, spending habits because I feel like spending pretend money makes me not want to spend real money. I love that you have something that kind of just lets you step away from everything, right? Because self-care is very important, um, especially with a high stressful job. You just need to like step back and just do something where you don't have to think, you know, yes. or it's just therapeutic. It's yes. fun. It's your me time because, you know, the first and most important person we have to take care of is ourselves, yes. right? Yeah. And then once we can take care of ourselves, we can always, you know, operate in the highest like value. And yeah. so, um, you know, I know back then mental health, self-care wasn't a big issue. Um, but after the pandemic, you know, it's been a huge topic and really we all need to take care of ourselves. We all need to find advice that kind of just, you know, takes us away and just kind of for a little bit of time have, you know, no, no, like you don't have to think about anything, <laughs> just like do whatever it is. <laughs> so. I love that you mentioned that. And uh, Ivy, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. If our listeners wanted to connect with you and, you know, to get some advice or maybe wants your services, is there any links or social media profiles you can connect with? Yes, you should be able to find me on LinkedIn and also on our firm's profile page, uh, sternkessler.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Ivy. It was so much fun having you on the show and I'm sure we'll reconnect soon.